Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I want to just have a discussion with you about how we define success around anxiety or OCD. How are we framing that for our kids? And what's our expectation as well? Because there can be helpful and unhelpful ways of looking at success and how we convey success to our kids who are on this anxiety or OCD journey. And for ourselves as well, who those of us that are on this journey for our own selves included. So we're going to dive into what that is, how to look at it, and how to make sure that we're conveying that to our kids. Before we get started, though, I do want to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy. They're available in the U.S. and outside of the U.S. You can schedule your free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is the right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com. There's a link in the show notes. Okay, so let's talk about this definition of success. This topic idea came up for me because we were talking about that in the monthly support group calls with the teenagers. I can't remember if it was this month or last month. In my AT Parenting community, we do once a month support group calls for the kids. We do it for the teens. We do it for the parents. And it brings up some really interesting topics. One of the topics that came up in our discussion was what success is. There were a couple of kids who were talking about having new struggles around OCD and how they were feeling about that. And there were some really good conversations and good input from some of the other kids in the group about how, how to look at anxiety and OCD. And so a lot of times we look at anxiety and OCD and we say that success is to eradicate any symptoms of anxiety or OCD. I'm going to break it down when we talk about anxiety and we talk about OCD. There's a couple of different things that are specific to those disorders that don't overlap. But in general, I don't like to use the word chronic, like it's a chronic condition, but it is a situation or a condition that has to be maintained and it has to be put in check. And so I often equate it to having asthma or diabetes. It's a chronic condition. It is, although that's a negative connotation, but it doesn't have to be a negative connotation. It's like, yes, there are many things that we have that are chronic, that we have to upkeep. We have to continue to maintain. We have to continue to assess. We have to pivot and respond and and have a relationship with these issues. And we all have the that with lots of different things. I have GI issues and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. And sometimes I have to watch what I'm eating and I have to monitor it. I can't just like not pay attention to that because there's information that I'm getting from paying attention. When you have diabetes, maybe you have to adapt your medication or your insulin, or you're eating something different that day, or you're traveling and you have to adjust for that. So you're constantly monitoring and regulating it. I have a bad back, or I don't have to say it that way because then I'm owning it, but like sometimes my back doesn't like to behave, you know, and I have to monitor that. Often it's not a big deal at all and it's so insignificant. I forget that, you know, there can be an issue. And other times 
it's such a huge problem in my life that I feel like it's never going to get better. And so I have lifestyle choices that help me be proactive. I stretch and I do things proactively that I know will help my spine, even when I'm not having issues because I am also being proactive. And it is the same thing for our mental health, for any mental health issue. And for our mental health in general, regardless of you ha- whether you have a disorder or not, it is something that has to be maintained. Our mental health is something that we have to maintain. If we drop the ball and we don't take care of ourselves or watch our negative thinking or you know fuel past issues that are coming back up, they can rear its ugly head again. And that, that includes eating disorders or depression as well as anxiety or OCD. And so having the view that we have to get over some finish line or that it's a cold or a virus that I'm going to get cured from is an inaccurate view. And it, and it can also set our kids up for failure because when they think that they're going to do all these hard things and then there's this finish line and they're done and it's over, it does a whole bunch of stuff. One, it's very discouraging when they see some symptoms come back up, which it inevitably probably will. And it can make them feel like a failure, which makes them not want to buy into rebuilding their skills or going back into treatment because they think it didn't work last time because it came back. And we can set kids up for that disappointment inadvertently by how we communicate and how we view what treatment is for and what the relationship with anxiety or OCD would look like long-term. And therapists can actually do this too. That's part of the reason why I never had kids graduate from therapy. I know a lot of therapists do, and there's nothing wrong with that if it's framed correctly, but it can inadvertently send the message that you are done. You know, you finished, you reached the finish line, you are cured, you are done. And so if you, if kids come back, they feel like a failure. Like I got this diploma or I got this cool like certificate from therapy. We had a graduation like little session and it was over. It's much better to say you've built all your skills and you're graduating from needing, you know, weekly or every other week therapy. And I'll probably still see you periodically for maintenance because just like if you had a brand new car, it would still need a tune up. You still need to kind of do maintenance. And that's what I'm for. You come back in and you're going to hit bumps, right? Just like you can get a flat tire and you have to get a new tire. You're going to hit bumps periodically and that's normal. That's okay. And we just have to refresh your skills. Your skills are not going to leave you, but sometimes they just need to be sharpened. Or sometimes you get snagged on a new theme, a new anxiety or OCD theme, and you just have to revisit how to apply those skills to this new theme, which isn't hard because the skills that you have are are there for all themes, but sometimes it can be a little confusing and you need some help navigating it. So when we preface ending therapy or the journey of building skills with anxiety or OCD in that way, it really can negate some of those issues when a flare or a bump or a struggle rears its ugly head again, which statistically the likelihood is very high. And that doesn't have to be like a doomsday belief, like, oh my gosh, we're never going to get rid of this. Because in an ideal setting, those skills are getting built and they're so much easier to tap into when they've already been built. Because it's just like learning how to do something that you already know how to do. It doesn't take nearly as long. And so we can set our kids up for that by helping them understand that everybody has our albatrosses, our struggles, and and framing that for your kids. You know, you have OCD or you have anxiety. Some people have asthma or some people have diabetes, or maybe you have all of those. Who knows? Everybody's got something. 
that they need to maintain. Nobody's perfect where they have no mental or physical issues going on or family dynamic struggles, or we all come into this world with various struggles. The great thing about having anxiety or CD is there's a lot that you can do, right? You can't think your way out of diabetes or asthma, but with anxiety and OCD, there is neuroplasticity where you can help rewire those neural pathways and you can train your brain to react in different ways. It doesn't mean that your brain isn't going to have overreactions or get, you know, stuck on stuff in the, in the future, because it's very possible, but you're learning how to outthink those thoughts, how to not get snagged into them and how to not get hooked into the cycle that grows the anxiety or OCD. So just one or two conversations to, to outline that can make a huge difference for kids who are struggling with anxiety or OCD. And I think that's really important in defining that. The other thing that I want to mention that I've noticed in my own journey with my own anxiety is, and I've seen this a lot in my AT parenting community, my online membership community is this expectation that if you have built your skills and practiced enough, that there should never be any discomfort around that theme or topic again. And one thing that I'm coming to grips with in my own journey with social anxiety is that I don't think I will ever be comfortable in certain situations. I don't think I will ever be comfortable in a non-structured social gathering where I don't know many people. I won't be comfortable in that. That doesn't mean that I won't do it. And I actually recorded an episode after this one. (laughs) I know it's out of order where I talk about social anxiety and how to create effective social anxiety exposures. That'll be coming out next week, episode 321. And I talk about that at the end of that podcast. I talk about how that I have shifted from feeling like I have to, like feeling like success for me is to eradicate it. And so I would actually beat myself up recently when I would feel anxious in situations that triggered my social anxiety, which include going to my kids' school for a concert or graduation, you know, sitting in an auditorium full of parents and me not having any, you know, social relationships in that, in that arena, making me feel like I'm a loser or I don't have any friends. I'm just sitting here, not talking to anyone that triggers my social anxiety. And then in the past and in the recent past, to be totally honest, I'd beat myself up about that. And I'd say, oh my gosh, Natasha, how long are you going to feel uncomfortable? I thought that you were done with this. I thought that you are quote unquote cured from social anxiety. Why can't you sit here in this sea of people and just be okay in your own skin? And what I've learned recently about myself, which I tell other people, it's different when it's you, right? Is that accepting that there will always be discomfort, but that I can still do it. That's the goal. The goal isn't for me to not feel discomfort. Because I think I will always feel discomfort in situations that have historically triggered my social anxiety. But the difference is, do I avoid those situations, like for dear life, or can I handle the discomfort when I need to? And the answer is, I can handle the discomfort. And so it's a good reframe for our kids where we say, it may not ever be comfortable for you to sit here and do blah, blah, blah. And it depends on their theme, right? Whatever it may be. But you'll be able to handle the discomfort. You'll be able to do the things that you need to do or that you want to do and not let anxiety or OCD get in the way. 
The ultimate goal is not that you are anxiety free. It's that you can still live your life. And that was a really important shift for me to not beat myself up about feeling uncomfortable still. It was like, yes, you're uncomfortable and you're sitting here supporting your kids. You're not avoiding coming. (laughs) Not that I had a choice, to be honest, but I mean, I can get creative and try to avoid, or I can tell myself just how horrific this experience is. But instead it's like, you're, you know, flexing this muscle and learning how to sit with this discomfort and that is okay. And so you want to think about how often do you communicate that to your kids? How often do you talk to them about the ultimate goal is the process. And so another example is like when kids are starting to make progress in their process, do we frame that as a, as a win, as a success, or is it only a success when they can go to school a hundred percent of the time? Or is it only access a success when they can take a shower that's under 30 minutes? Or is it only a success when they have no panic attacks? That definition of success can actually discourage kids. And so success is doing something that you couldn't do yesterday. That's success. When I was having major panic attacks, they started when I was in college. And so around 18, 18, 19, they started to happen. And it took me a while to get my bearings where I would have a panic attack and I thought I could get through this. Like I I can feel one coming on and I know I can get through this. I know it's not going to be fun. And I know I'm not about to enjoy what's about to happen, but I know that I can get through it. And that was success. And once I became not afraid of having a panic attack, the panic attacks actually got less and less until eventually they went away completely. And a big part of that was me celebrating not like, okay, I'm never going to have a panic attack again because that actually sets you up for failure. It was more of, I know that they're not fun, but I also know that they're not going to kill me. They feel like they are in the moment, but I know there are things that I can do and I develop my own coping skills. They were weird ones. (laughs) I think I've mentioned this before. I felt like my sugar levels were dropping when I have panic attacks, which was probably not accurate, but a jolt in sugar actually really helped me. And so having an orange was like, it kind of like was a a sugar boost. And so I do have hypoglycemia, (laughs) self-diagnosed. And so there maybe a little bit of that, like I was panicking and so my sugar level was dropping. But anyway, I got very attached to oranges. (laughs) And so I always had an orange like in my dorm room or I had like in my college apartment, I would have oranges. And as long as I can get to an orange, I I felt like I would get better. And that was probably a little bit of a placebo effect, but also like spiked my sugar levels. And and because I stopped panicking, you know, so placebos can actually be very effective because, because I was like, I have something to do when these things happen and I'll ride it out until they go away, then the anxiety around having a panic attack went away and they'd start to pop up and then they, they, they couldn't get traction. And I think part of it was I was, the anticipatory anxiety of having one went away because I was like, I've got this. So celebrating success is about celebrating that you know that you can get through something. Not that you're going to get through it in a glorious, non-anxious way, but that you know you can get through it. and. That's powerful. And so, if your child can't go to school, but then they went for one hour and they're starting to go to one hour a day, that's success because they were not going any hours the day before. And so, really tapping into what success is, and success is doing something in general that is out of your comfort zone. 
And I often talk about finding the edge. You find the edge and you don't want to go over the edge or push your kids over the edge because then it it actually becomes a bad thing. It's like finding that sweet spot where this is not comfortable, but you're able to do it. And that's really important. I'm going to talk about OCD after the break and some things that are specific to OCD when we talk about success that I think is really important. So we'll be right back. It's time we put help directly in our kids' hands. Introducing Crushing OCD Course for Kids and Teens. It was way more helpful than all the other therapy we've ever done because we didn't really know what to do. So we weren't really doing it before. So the course helped to figure out what the exposures are and how to do them. We're not in therapy and find it really hard um, to find an ERP trained therapist here. Um, So we're currently with like the public health service, but again, they don't seem to be trained in ERP. It's filled that gap that we don't have that was desperately needed. This was really well timed for us to use between therapists and to help us like start get off to a good start with this new practice. It was easy to use. Um, I was able to do it from my phone or also on the computer. There's different ages, you know, so there were younger kids, there were teenagers. And um, so that was really nice too, to have a variety of ages where it wasn't just geared towards younger kids or older kids. It was a nice variety. It's helpful for our kids to hear it from this like third party as opposed to just us saying it. I really like the offense and defense method. I love working on poking at OCD while it's sleeping. It makes it a little bit easier to do and it's kind of fun. <laughs> I'm planning on using it to work on my uh, fear of like holding your touching batteries and stuff like that. So it was really helpful and I think a lot of other kids would like it. I thought that I was like the only one who had worrying about the weather and stuff. And then there was somebody else on there who worried about the same thing, which was really helpful. Seems less scary to work on stuff now that I've watched this class and I'm more interested to work on it. I like trying to do more exposures still and going to, before I wasn't, I just didn't want to do them. I've worked on some of my bigger compulsions and been successful. I realized that it was helpful to do like the exposures before it was like really, really hard. It's still hard, but it's helpful to know that I need to do them. Before there would be a lot of battles about it. So it is definitely less loggerheads. Really, really good course and super helpful. Definitely would recommend this. It's really easy to follow. It's in nice bite-sized videos. I really like the worksheets that go along with it. And I think it's really helpful. To learn more about this course and register your child or teen, go to atparentingsurvivalschool.com. All right, welcome back. So I want to talk about success related to OCD in particular, because a lot of times parents will say, you know, he's been in ERP treatment or he's been doing therapy for a while and he's still having intrusive thoughts. I don't think this is working. And it's often misunderstood what the goal is for ERP, exposure response prevention, you know, the go-to therapy for OCD, in my opinion. And a lot of times parents will think the gauge of success is how, how much or how, you know, how often my child is having intrusive thoughts. And, and this is true for, for people with OCD as well. They'll say, I'm still having intrusive thoughts, so I don't think I'm getting better. It's really important to know that intrusive thoughts are, that's not the target. The target of success is the discomfort. Again, very similar to anxiety. Anxiety, the target is the discomfort, like to the point where it's debilitating. 
And avoidance. Are you avoiding things that you like or that you need to do because of your anxiety? Or are you not avoiding them? And are you able to handle the discomfort? Not that there's not discomfort, but are you able to handle it? And with OCD, it's the same thing in that it's not how much intrusive thoughts you have, and let me measure them. And if you still have them, then you're not successful. It's how debilitating is my reaction to these intrusive thoughts? Is it so uncomfortable that I am ridden with compulsions? Or am I able to have intrusive thoughts with less discomfort and less compulsions, whether it's mental or physical? And that's the goal. The goal is not to gauge how many intrusive thoughts they're having. And I think a lot of times people misunderstand that. And so it's important from the get-go to explain to kids and teens that we don't have the power to control intrusive thoughts. Intrusive thoughts come and they go. Intrusive feelings come and they go. But what we do have control over is our relationship with them. Do we get hooked in and start doing compulsions to eradicate them and to get rid of them? Do we give them value and get overwhelmed by them? That's the part we get to control. And so when you're doing therapy, you're learning to recognize an intrusive thought and say, okay, this is an OCD thought I'm having. And then what do I want to do with that? Can I resist doing a compulsion? Can I poke back at my OCD? Can I do things that will really upset my OCD because I want to do them? And when we do those things, I kind of call it going to the OCD gym because we are practicing on purpose discomfort and we're learning that we can handle the discomfort. And so you can have a person who is doing really well with their OCD and they have intrusive thoughts all day long. And that's still success because maybe they're in the background, but they're not getting hooked into them. They're not bothering them. It's just background noise. It doesn't mean that it's not upsetting all the time, but they're not doing anything with them. They're not doing compulsions. Um, And if they are doing compulsions, maybe they're doing a lot less. And so the, the black and white view of it's all or nothing is unrealistic. It's kind of like when we talk about hair pulling or picking behavior, body-focused repetitive behaviors. The goal is to not have zero picking or zero pulling because that's unrealistic. It's to decrease it. We want to decrease compulsions. We want to decrease picking and pulling. And, And those are two separate disorders, by the way, that should be treated completely differently. OCD and Body focused repetitive behaviors, BFRBs, picking disorders or pulling, like trichotillomania, totally separate disorders, and they have their own therapies. And we approach that differently, just as a side note to educate you guys, because I'm noticing a lot of people don't understand that. But when you say like zero, like zero behavior like that, that all or nothing can leave no room for feeling successful. And so we want to celebrate, it's kind of like growth mindset oriented, right? Like celebrating the effort of reducing those compulsions over time, you reducing those accommodations over time, not no accommodations are going to happen. We're going to go from zero to 60 and like take everything away, or there could be no compulsions. It's a process over time. Ideally, it'll get smaller and smaller and smaller, but it takes time. And then sometimes compulsions will creep back in. And so it's like, I look at it like weeding, like it's important to keep weeding You don't want to just stop, right? You don't like go to your backyard and you pull all the weeds out and you're like, I'm good. The yard is clean. We'll never get a weed again. I wish that was true, but it's not. You have to keep your eye out for new growth. And then you're like, oh, there's a weed. And you use all the skills that you have to keep pulling those out. So 
it's important to educate our kids on this because OCD will often come back and it's often referred to as whack-a-mole because it will come back in different ways with different disguises, different themes. It's all OCD, but letting our kids know, yeah, you know, OCD will try to get like glum onto new things or bring up new themes. But as long as you're weeding, you know, and you're recognizing, oh, that's a new OCD thought or, oh, that's a new compulsion and you're practicing your skills, then you're you're actively maintaining some mental health and and maintaining your mental health. And sometimes it'll be harder than others to dig out of that hole, but that's part of the process. That can sprinkle a lot of hope. It can sound upsetting because you're saying, oh my gosh, this is chronic and you mean they're gonna live with this forever. But on the flip side, it's like you learn how to have a relationship with anxiety or OCD that doesn't dominate your life because you're not expecting 100% success, and you're not expecting 100% symptom free all of the time. There's this wiggle room to celebrate success and to go on and live your life and say, Yeah, sometimes anxiety gets me and sometimes it doesn't. But I have all these skills and I'm, you know, I'm weeding, I'm making sure that I'm aware of it. For my social anxiety, I'm very aware. Like I'm aware of what I'm telling myself. I'm aware of what I'm avoiding that is based on my social anxiety versus based on my introverted behavior, where I really just don't want to always be in situations that require a lot of me socially. And that's not social anxiety. So understanding the difference and our kids understanding who they are as a person versus what OCD or anxiety is wanting them to be is really huge. So some things to think about. I thought it was just a good thing to just refresh everybody's memory about and make sure that we're defining success in a way that will have some long-term impact instead of inadvertently creating some unrealistic goals and some feelings of failure. And those of us that have kids with perfectionism, this is even more important because they can view even treatment or skill building as a pass or fail. And it is not pass or fail. It is a lot more gray (laughs) in between. And it's it's a daily practice. And I think just like everything else, I mean, everything else that we do in life, it's showing up every day in the way that we want to show up for life. And working on anxiety or OCD is a daily practice. And sometimes you're going to knock it out of the park and sometimes you're going to have rough days and that's okay because every day is a practice and the next day is always a new day. It's a blank slate, which I do like. So I hope that you're finding this podcast helpful in general. I do have a lot of online support for you. You can check out my online courses. I have courses on how to teach kids to crush anxiety, how to teach kids to crush OCD, one on social anxiety one on difficult behavior caused by anxiety or OCD, one on sleep struggles caused by anxiety or OCD, whole bunch of classes that you can check out at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. If you're enjoying the podcast, don't forget to hit a star or rate it, leave a review. And to show my gratitude, I'll be reading your review if you leave one. I hope that you find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll be back again next Tuesday with uh, a topic on social anxiety. So don't forget to subscribe so you can hear that one. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.